Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. You know, I don't remember every sermon that I've ever preached, much less the sermons that I've heard. But I do remember one sermon in particular. It was fall of 1997, and our church was doing something, you know, churches don't really do much anymore, hosting a, a revival. Now, if you're new to, to Baptist circles, or maybe you're new to the faith, a, a revival was, was kind of a multi-day event in the church, featured worship services every, every evening for several days in a row, and the church would usually bring in an evangelist usually a high-powered preacher with a particularly gift for motivating saints and sinners alike. And the goal was for, for lost sinners to, to get saved and well, for sinning saints to get their act together. Well, during this particular revival that fall, we had a, a young evangelist here. I couldn't remember his name. I remember he was from Alabama, and, uh, but I couldn't remember his name. And I, I can't tell you the sermons that he preached that week, but I can tell you one. I was sitting right here, and some of y'all were, were even in the room that night. And that night, that fall, that, that evangelist, he preached from Acts chapter 19. And he told the story that Samantha just shared with our kids, he told the story about these men who were, were going around trying to, trying to cast out demons using the name of Jesus. It was really something they didn't, they didn't have any business doing. And it turns out that these guys met a demon that called their bluff. And they tried to exercise the demons, to cast out the demons from this man. And the demons looked at the man and said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. But who are you? Then that demon-possessed man jumped on those seven men, beat them all up, stripped them of their clothes, absolutely humiliated them. You know, the evangelist that night got to the end of his sermon talking about these men, and he asked those of us in the room a question that night. It was a question that has stuck out in my mind from that day forward. And the question was simply this, do you want to be known in hell? You know, he got to the invitation, he repeated that refrain. And that night, the Lord you got a hold of my heart. Maybe you got a hold of yours too. I knew that night that I wanted to be a man of, of spiritual consequence. During the invitation that night, I, I kneeled at this altar right here and settled in my heart that night that God used this text on the lips of a fire-breathing evangelist to capture my heart and my mind. Now, I know that you might wish we had a fire-breathing evangelist this morning. We don't, so you're just kind of stuck with me. But I still pray that God's Word doesn't return void, just like it didn't return void that night in that revival meeting. And I pray that all of us will be challenged about our, our commitment to Christ. And maybe here we find ourselves 25 years later. And those of us who were in the room, and perhaps those of us who were not, that we might all be challenged in our commitment to Christ begins with a very simple question. 
Do you want to be known in hell? If you've got your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Acts, the 19th chapter, continuing from where we left off last week as the Apostle Paul finds himself in Ephesus. Begin reading here in Acts chapter 19 and verse 11. I would invite you to stand with me as we consider these words from Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them. And evil spirits came out of them. And then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of, or seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And many of those who were now believers, came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it, to, found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. And so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for a a text that still speaks to us and still calls us to radical faith and obedience in Christ. I pray, Father, that even today as we consider these words that I know were preached here 25 years ago, that these words may still call us to repentance and call us to a consequential faith in Jesus. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Acts chapter 19 is it's all about Paul's time in, in Ephesus. And we got our toes in the water just a little bit last week. Paul shows up in Ephesus. He encounters those 12 disciples. They didn't quite have all the information. And so Paul completes the, the, the gospel for them so that they're able to understand and respond completely to the good news about Jesus. He corrected those guys. He got them baptized. And you know who knows what those 12 guys went on to do. But Paul began his ministry in Ephesus just like he did in so many other towns. He went to the synagogue where the Jews were so that he'd find an audience that he was comfortable with and that he could speak their language easily. We find out in verse 8, he spent about three months doing that. So every Sabbath, Paul would come in and he would talk about Jesus. For, for three months, he does this. But there were some in the room that... They weren't too excited about what Paul had to say. And we're told back in verse 9 of Acts chapter 19 that, that some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. And so he withdrew from them, took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Well, what in the world happened? So he's, he's preaching to the synagogue, and then there's Jews who are like, I don't particularly care for what you're saying, Paul. And they began to, to stir up and cause trouble and contradict and condescend and all those sort of things. And so Paul, he says, you know what? 
I got just the place in mind. And he goes next door to a, a lecture hall. What is this? It's, it's a, maybe a local philosopher. Maybe it was his auditorium where he would offer teaching. It's very likely that Paul rented the space from him. And, and so churches today that, that rent movie theaters and those kind of spaces, well, Ephesus is kind of where that started first, where they rented this, this space, this, this shared space from somebody. And, and that's where Paul spent the next three years of his ministry there, based in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. It was the equivalent of a school auditorium. Or I said three, two years he does that. And so as a consequence of this two-year preaching ministry, guess what happens? The city of Ephesus began to change. I want to point out something this morning that's important to us today. You can't help but notice in the Bible, you can't help but see it in history either. Faithful churches change communities. Faithful churches change communities. You can't miss it. Faithful churches change communities. We, We probably hear that and we're like, well, that's not very profound. What else would you expect? Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is it may seem like common sense because this is what the gospel does. The gospel transforms people. But in order for the gospel to transform people, people have to hear the gospel. It's not enough just for the gospel to exist. People have to hear it and be given the opportunity to respond to it. And when people are given the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel, it begins to change lives. It begins to change families. It begins to change communities. And faithful churches not only preach the gospel, they live the gospel. They recognize that, that what we hear from the pulpit on Sunday, what we hear in our Sunday school classes, those are, those are truths that follow us even when we're not within the four walls gathered here as this congregation. People need to hear and see the gospel in our lives. And when they do, they can't not notice where do faithful churches come from? Well, faithful churches come from faithful Christians. Not perfect Christians. That's important. From faithful Christians. You say, what's the difference between a faithful Christian and a, and a perfect Christian? It's actually pretty simple. You see, faithful Christians recognize something about themselves. Faithful Christians recognize that they are prone to error. They own their mistakes, and they trust God for the confidence and the courage to walk in holiness each and every day. I woke up this morning, and I want God to help me to walk in holiness. But I also understand that I'm probably going to mess up at some point in time. And I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to ask God to help me walk in holiness and righteousness. And when I mess up, I recognize that he's going to be there. And when I confess my sins, I recognize he's going to forgive me. I understand the truth of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Faithful Christians recognize that God forgives sin, but they come back day after day after day trying to walk in righteousness, trying to walk in holiness, understanding that we're going to come up short from time to time. That's what a faithful Christian is. That's something to strive for, to be a faithful Christian. You know what a perfect Christian is? A perfect Christian is a hypocrite. Because there's no such thing as a perfect Christian. And so if you think you're perfect, then welcome to the club of hypocrites that we all are. So faithful Christians living out a faithful gospel, being faithful to the truth of Scripture, striving towards a faith that is consequential. This kind of consequential faith is what we see develop in the city of Ephesus during Paul's two years there. And that's what we should strive to see in our own lives as well. 
What is this idea about consequential faith? One thing we need to understand about consequential faith is that consequential faith will change your reputation. Consequential faith will change your reputation. You can't have consequential faith and keep it a secret. Jesus talked about this kind of faith in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus said, You, talking to the church, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light... Shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There is no hiding it. Because the nature of consequential faith in Jesus is that it cannot be hidden. It is contagious. It is viral. We see this in Paul's ministry. Paul is involved in these remarkable acts of healing. During his time in Ephesus, this is great. People are trying to get their hands on Paul's personal stuff. I mean, we read this, and, and sadly we read this, and our view is tainted by the televangelist. You know, the, the, the televangelist who will come on and say, if you'll just make a donation to our ministry, we'll send you a handkerchief that's been dipped in the Jordan River, and it's guaranteed to heal you of all your infirmities for a donation of $100. We've been tainted by that. That has colored us and influenced us, and so we read this and we think, man, this is just the hucksters on TBN selling their religious wares. That's not what's going on here. Paul's not out making money off his handkerchiefs. If I had to guess, I bet Paul's a little frustrated. Because what's he doing? Well, he's working in the hot sun of Ephesus making tents while he's running a preaching ministry and while he is sweating underneath the sunshine of that, of that Ephesian sky, suddenly his sweat rags come up missing. I don't know if you're like me when I'm working in the garage and I'm trying to do something. Uh, if you've got kids, you probably have found that things in the garage go missing. Things that you need are no longer there. Things have, things have gone, it's like, it's like hide and seek in the garage. And like, well, what happened? Well, I needed something. Well, did you not put it back where it, where it belonged? And, and it's frustrating when, when you see that happen. So I imagine Paul, he's wiping his brow. He's got his apron on to keep him clean while he's working with these dirty canopies. And this stuff's disappearing. I bet Paul said, I lost another apron. Because people are using these things and God is using these things as, as remarkable agents of, of healing. Paul didn't set out to be a healer. Paul set out to be a man of God who was faithful with the word of God. But he was faithful, and his reputation, his reputation did the rest. Last Sunday evening, about 10 or 12 of us, we took a hot meal over to the homeless community in, on Workman Road. And we, was, we were making our rounds and passing out some things. One of the ladies who lives there said to us, didn't y'all bring food over here on Thanksgiving Day? And I started to ask her, well, was it good or bad? Because if it was good, we absolutely did. Well, we did. And I told her, I said, we, we did. We came over Thanksgiving. We did, came last month. And she remembered. And she was appreciative of the fact that we were there to be a blessing with a, with a hot meal. We had a reputation already. You see, consequential faith will give you a reputation. But there's something here that we don't want to overlook because the things that Luke mentions that were bringing healing were just some of the tools of Paul's trade. 
And it's a reminder that Paul was engaged in a trade while he was working there. And so this consequential faith that the Apostle Paul was demonstrating, it wasn't just limited to the lecture hall. It wasn't just something that that people saw when he was up preaching and when he was teaching and when he was exposing them to the truth about Jesus. What was happening is that consequential faith was giving Paul a reputation even beyond the church sanctuary. It was following Paul into the canopy business as well. Listen to me, if you have consequential faith, the reputation of that faith will follow you into your workplace as well. There will be some who will want to try to copy it. Here in Ephesus, we see that taking place. Apparently, there's a group of brothers, seven of them. It's probably wise not to go into business with six of of your brothers. Seven guys were going around, and they're simply described as itinerant Jewish exorcists. I don't know if that fits on a business card or not. But these guys were roaming around Ephesus, and some people have tried to give them the benefit of the doubt. We probably shouldn't. The fact of the matter is, is they were probably not noble men, And they probably weren't doing society a favor by casting out unwanted demons. They weren't like the Ghostbusters of the ancient world. Like, who are you going to call? Seven sons of Sceva. No, that's not who, that's not what this was. They weren't noble men doing society a favor. More than likely, they were simply snake oil salesmen looking to make a quick buck by chanting some Hebrew. Because Hebrew is an interesting language to hear it spoken. And so for the Greeks, for these Jewish son, these Jewish brothers to come in, they probably had a little ceremony that they had worked out. They probably had some, some words that they had figured out how to string together to make it sound impressive. They probably had some sort of action. They might have done the, the, the Benny Hinn thing and smacked the demoniac on the forehead and knocked him out. Who knows what they were doing? But they heard that Paul was, was preaching about Jesus and that, and that aprons and handkerchiefs were being used to do what they had strived to do. And so they said, we just need to inject a little Jesus into our ceremony. It worked for Paul. Surely it would work for them. Except it didn't. And God, God made an example out of them. The truth is this. You might be able to copy the language of consequential faith. You might be able to copy the style of consequential faith. You might even be able to convince others that you have consequential faith. But you'll never be able to copy its consequences. What happens next? I'll never forget the first time I heard this preached. That demon-possessed man looked at these charlatans. And I suspect that what happened next had to be absolutely terrifying for anybody who saw it. And at that point, there was supposed to be a really scary-sounding demon speaking these voices. But uh, you imagine? You ima- I mean, we read this, and we read this in our southern slang, and it comes across as, as that. But I don't imagine that they spoke in southern slang. I suspect that this guy, you knew something was wrong. And at that moment... This single human being was able to single-handedly, violently assault these seven men. I mean, that's a, 
I've met some big, strong guys in my life. But even the biggest and strongest and baddest dude, I'm having a hard time thinking that that big, strong guy could take care of seven. Like, he might get one or two of us. But all seven of us, I mean, at some point, somebody's going to be able to subdue this fellow. But the word Luke uses here, he says the demons mastered them. That's a powerful word. The word contained in there is the same word for Lord. And so what it actually means is that, is that this demon-possessed man exercised lordship over them. And lordship means complete surrender. When Jesus is Lord of your life, you are submitting and surrendering to him. And so what it's saying here is that this demon-possessed man demonstrated lordship over these guys. They didn't stand a chance. And we're told that they are violently assaulted. At least they're able to run away. It's, they're, at least they're able to get away from this. They run away naked and bleeding. And man, they've got a story to tell. Here's the thing. Consequential faith, it'll capture the attention of the enemy as well. Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. Let that word sit there for a second. That's absolutely terrifying. They talked about this in staff meeting, right? Jesus, I know, y'all know who Jesus is. He's the son of God. He came and got the keys. He's in charge. He's the king. He's the ruler. You know who Jesus is. Yeah, what about Paul? Well, here's Paul. Look at his example. Paul is this incredible apostle who's, who's making inroads into communities that we held fast for, for centuries. You guys know who Paul is. Imagine what came next. Jesus, I know. Paul, we, we surely recognize. Would your name go next? Could your name be the next name uttered? Would your name fill in that blank? There's no doubt throughout history there have been Christians who have received that level of attention. But we need to understand this one thing today. It is certain the devil and his demons are very content for your faith to remain mediocre. They're very content with that because mediocrity isn't good for much of anything except making more mediocrity. You ever notice that? You hang out with people who are mediocre at work and what does it do? It just washes off on you. You know, somebody who, who takes an extra long lunch break, shows up late every day, somebody who, who get, does enough work to get by but doesn't really excel, but just kind of rubs off on you. But you know what really makes a difference in a workplace is when somebody shows up and they're, 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 they're great at it. They, they show up early, they work hard, they do their work to the best of their abilities. All those things make you want to do what? Better. They make you better because they work hard. They put forth a tremendous amount of effort. That's true on the ball field. It's true on sports teams. It's true everywhere. Greatness breeds greatness. Mediocrity just breeds more mediocrity everywhere you look. And the mediocre Christian faith, guess what it does? It doesn't cause us to strive for greatness in the kingdom. Somewhere along the line, we've bought into a lie. 
we've boiled Christianity down into a few checkable boxes. I've done all the things I'm supposed to do. And so as long as I can check my boxes like the old Sunday school envelopes, brought my Bible, brought a friend, brought my offering, I've done all the things I'm supposed to do, that makes me a good person, makes me a good Christian, right? No, it doesn't. It's great to check the boxes, it's great to do the things, but a consequential Christian faith is more than just checking boxes. It's, it's more than just doing the right things, and the devil knows it. When does our faith start to ping the radar of the enemy? Well, I'll tell you when. When it goes beyond the sanctuary. When our coworkers takes notice. When it follows us into our trials and into our sufferings, when that cute post on social media actually has real life consequences and significance. If you really want to get noticed by the enemy, then let your faith begin to color your conversations with other people. If you want to be known in hell, then let Jesus be more than a Sunday morning savior. Make him master of your Monday mornings as well. Ensure that he is the Lord of your living room and the king of your conversations. Submit your Saturdays to Jesus as well. When your faith breaks out of this world with its stained glass and its controlled chaos, when it breaks out of this and starts to have an effect on the world in which you live, then it might just be that that is when your picture gets put on the post office wall in the domain of the demonic. Or, you can be content with half-hearted obedience, mediocre faith, and general indifference to the kingdom of God. True Christians can't stand that. True Christians don't want that. Because consequential faith always leads to real-world consequences. Those exorcists, we don't know if they met the real Jesus or not. They had lots of problems to deal with. They had to go find some clothes. They were broken and bloodied. We don't know what happened to those men. But what we do know is that word spread, and a bunch of other folks heard about Jesus. After this beatdown, all of Ephesus was talking, and people realized that Jesus was the real deal. And real change started to happen. And the occult business was strong in Ephesus. But it got a lot weaker in a hurry. We're told that people who were practicing the occult fessed up, no more dabbling with that stuff, had no place in the kingdom of God. A bunch of them were Christians. A bunch of them did something profound. They started burning their libraries. I remember, <laughs> I remember after hearing this text preached 25 years ago, I had a giant music collection. And it wasn't the most noble in the world, I'll say that. Now, I didn't have any Ouija boards or anything like that. But man, I had some music. Because back in the day, Columbia House, y'all remember Columbia House, right? All the CDs. We'll send you 500 CDs if you'll give us your soul for the next three years, you know? So I took all that music, and I put it in a pile, and I took that pile of music, and I took it to McKay's. Y'all thought I was about to say I burned it. 
And I took it to McKay's, and I remember setting that box of music on the desk at McKay's, and they gave me a couple of hundred cents. <clears throat> I didn't have it anymore. You can't miss what happened at Ephesus as a result of this event. Other people heard the gospel. You see, that's what consequential faith does. It gets to the gospel. Consequential faith can't be hidden. It can't be excused. It can only be explained. And the explanation of that faith is Jesus. If you look at verse 17 in Acts chapter 19, it says, This became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. You see, when radical faith in Jesus breaks out of the sanctuary and out of the Sunday school classrooms, people take notice. Why are you like this? Why are you doing that? Why do you treat other people this way? Because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. Darkness is pushed back. Again, in Ephesus, the books were burned. The the value of those books was remarkable. In today's world, we desperately need to see darkness pushed back. It's everywhere. Just look around at the casualties in our own community. Maybe even look at the casualties in your own family of the drugs and drunkenness and abuse. I think back to the conversations we had last Sunday night. We met one guy out there. He was telling us his story. He said he'd been shot twice in the leg. I thought, man... I don't know that I've ever met, I'd ever met anybody that had been shot before. At least they never told me. And I thought, man, what, what is your life like that part of your story is that you've been shot twice? Looked on his skin, and he was tatted up with all kinds of stuff. I didn't know what it was, so I have to assume a lot of it was gang-related stuff. And as I was listening to this man talk, the thing that struck me just so profoundly How would his life have looked different if somewhere along the way in his childhood he'd encountered a Christian who radically loved Jesus and pointed him in the direction of the gospel? How much different could that man's life have been if at some point in time he had been saved through Jesus? This morning... Let's say it in whatever way makes the biggest impact in your life. The evangelist that day when I heard it, do you want to be known in hell? Maybe this way, do you want to have a reputation that causes the demons to shudder? Maybe this way, do you want to have a faith that is of such consequence that the people around you can't help but notice? What would it take today to move you from where you are to that place where the darkness flees from your testimony and the demons dread your presence? Because here's the thing. The devil wants nothing more than to maintain mediocrity. He wants you to dabble in that sin that you think you're managing. I had a seminary professor who always said, the devil's happy with just a dance. He doesn't have to be your date but he does want to cut in every now and then. And here's the thing, if you're managing that sin, let's be very honest, what you call management is what he calls mastery. 
He definitely doesn't want you committed to a local church. He's much more content with loose affiliations. Because with loose affiliations, there's no accountability. With loose affiliations, there are no relationships. He wants you distracted by countless other things. Think about all the things that distract us. How many of us today find ourselves distracted by anxiety and fear? How many of us are distracted by finances and family? How much of us are distracted by all the other cares of this world? In the voice of an elder demon teaching a younger demon, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the Savior. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. He says this, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. With that comes a very simple reality. The devil no more wants your wanted poster hanging on the wall of hell than you want your wanted poster hanging in the post office down here in Flintstone. Because for every Christian who makes an impact in the domain of darkness, it is just one more reminder of his defeat, which leads to a singular question. Is your name known in hell? Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the significance that it calls us to. We live in a world where we're confronted with distractions and opportunities to take our eyes off of you. We have anxieties and worries and fears. We have so many things calling our attention. But Lord, right now, today, more than anything in this world, we would ask God that if there are things in our life that are causing us to have a mediocre faith, to be half-hearted in our obedience to you, to be content with a casual affiliation with you and with your church, that today, God, that we would ask that probing question was asked of me 25 years ago. Do I want to be known in hell? That's not a great invitation. Lord, answering that in the affirmative means hardship, means attack. But answering it any other way is simply insufficient. And so God, in these moments of response, would you show us those things in our lives that have caused us to settle for mediocrity in our Christian life? 
God, that you would call to our attention those areas in our life where, or to be honest, we don't put forth our best. We don't spend the time in your word. We don't take our prayer life seriously. Church is simply something that we do when it's convenient and there's no other better options. So Lord, lead us to a radical, consequential faith today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.